Hello, welcome. Thanks for dropping into Time in the Studio. This is a nourishing space for botanical creatives. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Sarah Marie Miller. I'm an artist, herbalist, and postpartum doula living on the unceded territory of the Ute, Arapaho, and Cheyenne peoples known as Boulder, Colorado. And I'm so excited for today's chat. I got to have a conversation with Caitlin Rowe. I met her a few months ago at the Good Medicine Confluence um, at the same time as I met a previous guest, Lauren Peterson. And they were friends and had booths right next to each other. And so um, I just really love chatting with them both. And Caitlin is an Ayurvedic practitioner, herbalist, and massage therapist. She enjoys sharing education about the simple and comforting routines that Ayurveda offers throughout the elemental seasons and the seasons of life. The healing journey can be overwhelming with so much information out there, and her goal is to focus on healing through simplicity. She started a line of herbal products in 2014, which has shifted over the years to focus on Ayurvedic principles and supporting people through their daily routine. Her products are gorgeous, by the way. Really beautiful and really thoughtfully created. She has been doing body work for over 16 years, and her practice is currently in Georgetown, Texas, where she helps manage she helps clients manage everything from chronic diseases, perinatal and postpartum time, diet, lifestyle, and everything in between. And I think you're going to love this chat. It's a little bit longer than some of the conversations, but it's so juicy and worth every minute of it. So we get into some really beautiful morning routines and simple routines you can weave into your life, uh, depending on your dosha. We also talk about what the heck is a dosha, and we also talk about how to make social media content that is digestible, because I really love Caitlin's approach. She just has a really great aesthetic, and it's really down to earth, but really simple and approachable and just fun to watch and informative and helpful too. So I think you're going to get so much out of this episode and thank you for being here. Um, oh, I also wanted to let you know, if you want one of my limited release cyanotype botanical calendars, they're blue and have a nice like higi vibe and so cute. Um, you can use the code cyanlove10 for 10% off for you beloved podcast listener. Thank you for being here. And I'll have a link in the show notes, but it's at etsy.com slash shop slash A to Z arts. And I also want to give a big shout out to Aaron Travers of the band Emptier for the show music. And thanks to all of you who listen, like, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you find it. It makes a huge difference. And I deeply appreciate your enthusiasm for the show. So thanks for being here. And if you super duper love the show and want to support with a few bucks each month, you can join at patreon.com slash time in the studio. And I donate a portion of the podcast proceeds to other organizations that help the earth and um, help women's rights and reproductive rights. So I'm always trying to give back to the community. So... Yeah, before we get into it, remember this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and not to be used to diagnose, treat, cure, etc. any 
any diseases or issues. Okay, here we go. Cha-cha-cha. So thankful today to have on the podcast Caitlin Rowe of Urban Beta. And I had the delight of meeting her a few months ago at the Good Medicine Confluence in Durango, which is just a really fun a gathering of herbalists and plant people. And she had this beautiful table and her products were just really gorgeous and captivating and really well-made and just had a really cool vibe about it. And I just really loved chatting with her at her table about her products, about her approach and teaching. And I was like, oh my gosh, would you ever want to do a podcast chat? And so here we are now. I've been following you on Instagram and I love what you do there as well. You just have a really wonderful way of sharing knowledge and beautiful rituals with the world. So thanks so much for being here, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'd love to dive in and just hear a little bit about your approach, where you began. I I see there's a very strong Ayurvedic influence and I just I wonder how you've learned about that and how you got into the plants. Definitely. Yes. So before I ever officially began studying, my biggest influence was my parents. My dad has always been more of the feminine energy, whereas my mom is very much more of the masculine energy. My mom has been a landscaper of Texas natives for almost 50 years now. She started her company when she was 25 and she initially started with interior landscaping in um, like office buildings and things like that. And then my dad on the other end was more of the at-home gardener, which was something my mom was never into. She wasn't into like growing food or anything, but that was always my dad's approach to getting back to the earth. So I always kind of viewed them as pioneers of their time because I was born in the late 80s and in the late 80s, convenience started becoming really popular with frozen foods. Not that we haven't had frozen foods forever, but just processed frozen foods of like making it a meal or like those like hungry man dinner type things, you know. And then fast foods was becoming really popular. And so, yeah, we grew up in a really tiny town of about 500 people. And there wasn't an option for anything like that out there. My mom used to have to drive like 45 minutes to go to the grocery store and bring coolers and her old Suburban with her to cart food back and forth. But they always made food from scratch. Both of my parents were very into cooking. I have two older brothers and they're also very into cooking. My oldest brother has a restaurant. My middle brother has been chefs in restaurants forever food has always been a big part of my life. My parents were very much into natural remedies. So they weren't, you know, going towards aspirin and Tylenol and antibiotics. I mean, obviously, if they really thought we needed it, they would, but it was always natural remedies. Like I remember anytime we would say we had a sore throat, my dad would pull out the iodine and he used to call it monkey's blood. And he would say, get ready for the monkey's blood and like paint it on our throats to help our throats. And just, I don't know, I just have so many memories of that when I was a kid, just them using more natural remedies. And yeah, I'm one of three kids and I was the only one born at home. 
And, you know, being out in the middle of nowhere, I was just coming out of the womb so fast that my dad pretty much had to deliver me. And my brothers were both there. And so it's just always kind of been ingrained in me. My mom used to like pendulum all of our food that she would get from the grocery store. And, you know, their families just thought that they were totally wacky, but they were just, you know, doing the inherent what they felt was the way and that was always deeply ingrained in me so that's kind of my unofficial start and then after high school I didn't really have a direction of what I wanted to do I mean I I was sewing a lot in high school and I was actually going to go into fashion design and jewelry design and I even like went to the Fashion Institute in San Francisco and did all of my interviews to go to school there. And I don't know, I just had a shift and I ended up finding this school in Monterey. My aunt and uncle both live in California. And so my uncle took me around to all these different schools to look at. And I ended up at visiting a school in Monterey called the Monterey Peninsula College. It's just a community college there, but it, the campus itself was incredibly beautiful. And I was like, okay, I, this is where I want to be. And so I went there and it was really affordable because it was a community college. And then California has all these amazing benefits once you become a resident. So I essentially ended up getting to go to school for free after a while and It's kind of really interesting, but I was in this class called Earth's Catastrophes and Disasters, and there were only seven of us in the class, so it got canceled. And I was also doing, you know, jewelry design, fashion design, like piano classes, just a bunch of random stuff. And I needed another four credit class. And so I was like looking in their syllabus and looking at all of these options and massage therapy was listed and it was the exact amount of credits that I needed. So I went to the class and there was only one spot available. And that first day we sat in a circle. She, the teacher had asked us to put chairs in a circle And right before I ended up moving out to California, I got this Be Here Now tattoo on my wrist because my father gave me that book when I was 15 and it just totally changed my perspective. And so, you know, being the third child, I've always resonated with the number three. So she's passing out all these papers, the teacher, and the the third piece of paper she passed out was um, kind of giving her guidelines for your responsibility in the class and the third thing on that third piece of paper said be here now and I had just gotten that tattoo three weeks before and she just and she sat right next to me and she looked at me and she looked at my tattoo and she said it looks like this is where you're meant to be wow yeah I had never even considered massage it wasn't like in my field of awareness at all and I just really loved it. And so a lot of times massage is just a very mechanical kind of teaching. You know, you're learning anatomy, you're learning kinesiology, you've got to know pathology and the way that the body works. And so I was fortunate enough that that teacher who was teaching that class was actually the teacher of the Esalen Institute, which is a world-renowned massage therapy and hot springs that's in Big Sur right on the ocean. And it's a very expensive place to go to school, but she taught 
there at Esalen, but she also taught at Monterey Peninsula College, which was only about 30 minutes from Big Sur. And so she was a very spiritual person. And so we weren't just learning mechanics, we were learning energetics of it as well, which I really appreciated. And I mean, from day one, she had us on the table working on each other, even though we didn't know anything. She was just like, you've got to start feeling the body. She had us learning Reiki with each other. And it was really amazing. And I just really fell in love with it. And I'm still connected with her. Her name is Shar Pius, and she is now kind of retired and still lives out in that area. And she's wonderful. So that was kind of my introduction into working with the body in another way. And I had always been, since reading that book, Be Here Now, on this path of, you know, finding my spirituality and whatever that means. But this was a whole new level of opening it up, of including the tangible body with the energetic body. So yeah, that was when I was 19, did the massage school. So in California, you can only get a certification or an associate's degree. So I ended up going to two-year school for massage therapy and getting an associate's. And then it wasn't until 2012 or 2013, I have it written up here. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good idea because otherwise I always forget I'm like I don't know like time. yes it was 2013 I my mom had met my herb teacher Ginger Webb just through the Austin community of plant people and she was like I think you would really be interested in her school and it was actually she says it was the first year of her school she was actually teaching it out of her living room and I went and studied herbalism with Ginger Webb, who is like really well known now in our little Austin community of herbalists. She's kind of like on the forefront of it here. And yeah, I just, I, that was my introduction to plants. And she was actually at the time teaching the class in order of the chakras. So plants in line with the chakras. And so we started with the root chakra. And as we moved, you know, through the hours of schooling, we eventually got all the way up, you know, to the crown. And so that was a really interesting way to learn herbalism. And I was just kind of getting my toes dipped into it in a formal way, because it had always kind of been in my life, but not formally, you know. Mm -hmm. And so then after that, I kind of just started a product line, I just started making tinctures, just getting into it and I started lightly vending here and there and then doing you know the herbalism and massage kind of coinciding and then my life actually shifted in 2015 and I had always really been into sustainable building since the whole Occupy movement happened I kind of left my modern life and went and lived out on six acres of raw land where there was no electricity or running water and we had set up a rainwater collection and we had set up a tiny solar panel to run a fan at night because it was middle of texas summer living in a tent Mm. essentially that would be toasty Yeah, it was toasty, but it was in San Marcos, Texas, where we have this beautiful spring that's 72 degrees year round. And it's actually the oldest continuously inhabited place in North America. And it's this incredible water. And so we would just go and dip in the water every night before bed. And it was, it was a really 
special time in my life and a really beautiful way to live, just really immersed in the elements. And I just got really into sustainable building. Mike Reynolds was just like so radical to me. He started the Earthship community in Taos mm -hmm. and I saw his documented Garbage Warrior and I was just so, so enamored with that way of living and that kind of creativity and that kind of just radicalness. So I just got really into sustainable building. And then in 2015, a friend of mine that I went to high school with owns a, like a sustainable tree house company. And his parents actually had a zip lining business on their land out here west of Austin. And they started building tree houses out there. And so I, he, had put out a call on Facebook and they were in Mexico building a tree house. And he said, we need people. And I said, Hey, look, I can't come right now, but would you be interested in hiring me for future? And he was like, Oh yeah, definitely. So in October of 2015, I just started going out to where they were out in Spicewood, which is West of Austin and working in their shop with them. And we were building like custom cabinets and really fine furniture at the time, but I was apprenticing and learning some really interesting techniques and building. And then he said, we're going to move the company to California and you know, you're welcome to come. And so I went and they're kind of like family to me. I've known him since I was in the ninth grade. And so I just moved out there and started doing some business management for them. We were going to build a treehouse resort. And so that was just kind of getting off the ground, getting investors and all that. But in the meantime, we ended up building some tiny homes. We did like a Make-A-Wish Foundation tree house. And the tiny homes we built were on the big island in Hawaii out on this old lava flow. And they were all off-grid because there was no city sources out there. So we had to set up a rainwater catchment. We had someone set up solar panels, digging a septic. And so it was really fun building out there. But um, the last project we did was just particularly challenging for me and the dynamics of working with a group of men and being the only girl. And it was really hard mm -hmm. <laughs> without getting much more into that. But mm -hmm. so I came back to California and was like, what am I going to do? I need to maybe just kind of enter my healing practice. And there was a kind of Ayurvedic school slash center, body work center sanctuary in Sebastopol where I lived called the Dayana Center. And so I decided that I was going to start taking classes. So Deanna Batdorf is the teacher there. And I took her introduction to Ayurveda course. And then I took every single course she taught after that and got my Ayurvedic specialist certification. And then I was just really enamored with it because it took, which is my tagline for Urban Veda, it took spirit and it took matter and it put them together. And it was finally a world that I felt like was so, that, that understood me mm. or I understood it and vice versa, because I had always believed that spirituality and philosophy can coexist with science. You know, there are people out there who say there's astronomy and astrology and they don't, you don't, you either believe in one or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's 
spirit and there's matter or science and they can't coincide. But Ayurveda proves all of that wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we live in a vibrational universe. It's like it totally coexists. Like to say that it doesn't is absurd. I mean, all science is philosophy. Mm -hmm. I mean, all science is just a theory until proven. And really, what are we proving? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we keep finding out new things. So to say that anything is definitive in itself just seems like ironic because then it's like well we we really don't have all the answers of the universe and to pretend like we do is is silly so i just really fell in love and for lack of a better term became really obsessed with the teachings of ayurveda because it was a science based in spirituality and i finally felt my place in life really click because I've just felt so out of place for so long because I just didn't see how those things didn't coexist. And the whole world around me was telling me that they didn't. And so, I don't know. I just, I just can't quit it now. <laughs> and like, I love that. Yeah. I feel like maybe in some shape or the form, you know, maybe that was a past life or, you know, and, and I, I fully believe in Dharma, which is like our life path, but Dharma isn't just one thing. Your Dharma changes throughout your life. Your life path constantly changes. And so your Dharma changes. And I mean, we even have people in our school that are in their late 60s that are just finding Ayurveda and they're like, this is my dharma, you know, and I just, I love that. Nothing is so finite, you know, we're not closed off to any one idea or any one thing that's constantly evolving. But I constantly find myself always going back to the teachings of Ayurveda. I just... Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It resonates so deeply within like every fiber of my being. I truly believe in it. So, yeah, it's such a beautiful practice and philosophy. I mean, I I definitely don't know as much about Ayurveda. I have like some some light teachings about Ayurveda, and I I love it, and it resonates. And I'm kind of interested how things intersect in that like melting pot of herbalism of western herbalism african-american herbalism like native american herbalism you know ayurveda tcm like traditional chinese medicine like there's just all these different ways that everything is the same thing like in every system there's an understanding that of the energetics of a person and a place and a plant and finding balance of those things and creating ritual and ceremony and having reverence for your body and for all of the beautiful things that keep us alive like water and plants and <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is that ayurveda is based in the elements mm-hmm. you know either air fire water earth you know and that every all five of those elements is in every single thing in life. Everything had contains all five elements. Yeah. So I, it's just endlessly fascinating for me. And, you know, I, I really loved herbalism. I love herbalism, not loved, but 
I felt like to some extent, you know, there are non-believers out there. And it's not that I wanted to make them believers, but I just wanted to show them another way. And I just needed something a little more like science-based to reach those mm. people. Mm-hmm. And that's when Ayurveda came in, I was like, oh, this is it. This is the way I can bridge that gap for those people. Because, you know, I Ayu means life, Veda means science. So it's the life science. And Ayurveda is the oldest continuously practiced form of medicine in the entire world. It dates back over 5,000 years. So even TCM was adapted from Ayurveda and they have very similar practices. And so for me, I was just like, it being so old for me, it was like, oh, well, that has foundations in, in science, you know, that it's it's been tested for this long and people are still using it and still going back to it. So why wouldn't they believe in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my way to kind of bridge the gap of those two worlds because people can get very into how herbalism is very like woo-woo or energetics. And it's like, yes, it is those things, but it's also based in science. Look at our ancestors. They were using plants. They were communing with plants. When we say, you know, the plant spirit told me, people are like, oh yeah, that's woo-woo. And and it's like, well, that's what people have been doing for thousands of years is communing with and creating relationships with plants. And so I I find myself somewhere between like woo-woo and like, you know, very science-based because sometimes I'm like, things are too woo-woo for me. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm just like, that's too rigid for me. So I, I just always feel like I'm floating somewhere in the middle of those two things. Yeah, I totally relate to that as well. Like, I love the science and the study and, you know, looking at different research papers about different plants and things. But I also love my own experience with the plants and hearing about other people's experiences with the plants and talking to the plants themselves. Like, there's just so many ways to gather information and wisdom and Mm -hmm you know, filter it through your own consciousness. So yeah, I love that just approach and that middle ground. I totally (laughs) resonate with that. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, you're probably pretty pit to dominant me too. And Mm -hmm. that's like such a pit to thing. (laughs) Yeah. Caught in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So Ayurveda is mostly based yes it's based on the elements but its foundation always goes back to digestion and this concept of agni which is our digestive fire which would be like the enzymes in our body and so there is agni in many different forms like agni is responsible for transformation so we have uh, tissue agnes we have you know our stomach agni we have the agni from the sun every plant has agni in order to turn a seed into a fruit kind of thing so agni they say agni is king because it is responsible for transformation so that's why eating foods that are cooked is so important because agni is responsible in the whole process So the Agni from the sun transforms the seed, 
the Agni in that seed transforms into the fruit. And so we have to include Agni to cook it so that our Agni inside our stomach can assimilate it. Mm, oh, I love that description. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it correlates with science too, right? Like they show like if you are having health issues, oftentimes one of the underlying causes is low stomach acid, which is Agni. Like you don't have that digestive fire and mm -hmm. that ability to break things down and digest your food and your experiences. And it's like a lack of that transformation. Right. And that doesn't always mean like we need to take more probiotics or we need to drink some apple cider vinegar. Cause again, that's not going to work for everyone. And I mean, the way that we do it in Ayurveda is through spices. And that's why the spice trade is such a foundation of India is because it's the volatile oils and constituents in the spices that go in and ignite Agni or even help lower Agni if it's too high. So there's four types of Agni in Ayurveda. There's Tikshna Agni, which is sharp. So it means like you have a really high, highly enzymatic fire. So maybe you are ravenously hungry or you have loose stool or you're burning through your nutrients so fast that you're not absorbing it. And then there's Manda Agni, which is slow. So you have a really hard time digesting things. You might not be eliminating as regularly. You probably have a colder digestive fire. You probably don't feel hungry very regularly. And so, I mean, Tikshna Agni would be more of a Pitta issue. Manda Agni is going to be more of a Kapha issue. And then we have Vishama Agni, which is alternating, which would be Vata because Vata is mobility and either air. And so Vishama means you could have it really high one day, it could be really low the other day. So it's erratic and it's all over the place. You probably alternate between constipation and diarrhea. So that's the Vishama. And then we have Sama Agni, which is just an equilibrium Agni, a happy Agni. So that's when you're, you know, eliminating at least once a day and it's pretty healthy, not very stinky. You have a, a pretty steady hunger. So things like that. That's so helpful to hear all those four different types. Is there any favorite practices that you do or that you oftentimes suggest for clients to support getting to that Sama Agni place? I mean, I, I imagine it's so different for each person. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I can, because Ayurveda really focuses on the unique individual and we don't generalize any kind of protocol for anyone. But one thing that I do feel really safe in generalizing is called Ushnodaka and that is just boiled water. So say someone has a really, really low Agni, like fever. When you have a fever, you don't have a ravenous hunger. You have a really low Agni. You don't want to just start taking spices. You don't want to just start drinking the bone broth because bone broth is way too heavy. If you have low digestive fire, it's not going to be helpful. It's going to potentially make it worse or just not make it worse, but prolong the healing process. Mm -hmm. And then things like spices could be way too intense if you have a low digestive fire. But Ushnodaka, drinking boiled water, so you don't even have to drink it hot. You can boil it and then 
drink it once it's cooled, but it changes the quality of the water to being light and more easily digestible. And mm-hmm. that inherently stokes your digestive fire. Oh, that is so cool. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So just simply like I usually have a pot of water in the morning that I start when I wake up and I may not drink it hot, but I'll just drink it throughout the day. And that's the water that I drink. So even it's even more digestible than just drinking room temp water. Wow. That's such a great tip. I oftentimes will add a little sprinkle of sea salt or Himalayan pink salt or a little squeeze of lemon to my water too. Um, Cause I don't know, that always feels good to me. It's like kind of like, or I'll do like a little teeny drizzle of honey too, just to get like electrolytes and get mm-hmm. things moving a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ayurveda, this was something new to me that I learned, but one of our teachers, she's a BAMS doctor from India and she recommends switching lemons for limes. Somehow mm. lemon got really popular in the modern world, but lime, mm. so lemons are a hybrid of limes and oranges. So lime is the true essence. And lime has what we call a pravaha, which means a special effect. We call it the gift of the plant. So even though it's acidic, it does not provoke pitta, which mm. lemons do provoke pitta. So they recommend drinking warm lime water over lemon water because it is less provoking for pitta types and less acidic in in its essence. So it has this special effect that not all plants have, but lime in particular does. I can feel that just like thinking of limes. I I can see how that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Even in its color, like green mm-hmm. is a cool tone, you know, yellow mm-hmm. is a hot tone. So it kind of just tells you in its coloring, it's in itself. So, yeah. yeah. What about somebody who has a more pitta constitution? Is there something you suggest for, for digestion? As far as like foods or spices or herbs or all of yeah. it? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe a food or an, an herb that would be nice for somebody that it's kind of like that hot-blooded pitta. Mm-hmm. Some really pitta, like a really great pitta water that I love to do is I will, I always am drinking, like I see you are, out of these yeah. bars, <laughs> and I will crack three green cardamom pods and put them in there and then drink that throughout the day with the water and it slowly infuses in the water. It tastes wonderful. It's not very strong, but cardamom is such a pitta-friendly spice. Cumin is another, fennel, coriander, they're pretty common for any kind of high pitta. And then as far as foods, you know, more cooling foods, less acidic. So like cheeses are actually pretty good for pitta. Takra is, they call it grandmother's buttermilk, but it's essentially Indian buttermilk. So it's how I make it is I do a one to four ratio of water and yogurt and it's not you can't use dairy-free yogurt it doesn't have the same quality so it won't have the same effect and in Ayurveda there is no replacement for dairy there's nothing that has the same qualities and has the same effect in the body as dairy does but they're never drinking like cold milk or cold yogurt the way takra is prepared is for just a single serving because you have to make it fresh you can't just make a bunch and then store it 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 will lose its prana 
So what I do is a quarter cup of organic whole milk yogurt and four cups of water or one cup of water. That's right. It's a wonderful ratio. So a quarter cup of yogurt, a cup of water. I blend it several times, pulse, pulse, and then a break in between each time and scoop off the fat bubbles on top. And I do that about seven times. And then I throw in a pinch of cumin seeds and a handful of cilantro. And then I blend it all together until it's totally amalgamated. And then I will pour it into a glass through a mesh strainer to get any last bubbles on top. And it has a very light quality, very easy to digest, and it stokes digestive fire. And that is a really good, really good treat for Pitta. And I have a video of how to make it on my Instagram if you need more of a visual. Amazing. Oh, I it's, love that. It's really tasty too. It kind of sounds strange. And I did a cooking class recently and we made all kinds of things, but the takeaway that everyone's favorite was the takra. <laughs> That's so fun. Oh my gosh. I love that you're teaching cooking classes too. Is that through the sacred journey I, or separately? There's a local apothecary here in Georgetown mm -hmm. called Sanctuary Holistic Kitchen mm -hmm. by Robin Cervantes. And she has an extra little kitchen in there. And I do a lot of cooking classes in there. I'm doing one tomorrow, actually. So, yeah. Oh, fun. Oh, my gosh. That sounds wonderful. Is there, are you kind of talking about different foods for each dosha? Or how do you approach a class? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we talk about foods and spices per dosha. I always give these handouts in class that kind of talk about what the doshas are, what the qualities of the doshas are too, and foods that align with those doshas. And then the classes, though, are mostly taught by season. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be focused on more fall things tomorrow. I taught a class last month. And they all really wanted my chai concentrate. So I'm doing that this weekend. We're going to do the chai concentrate. We're doing some roasted pears with a ambrosia coconut cream. We're doing a butternut carrot apple soup. And then we're doing my chocolate covered date yum yums, which are really tasty. Oh, oh my God. Those sound like wonderful recipes. Do you have a cookbook or something I'm like I want I am working on I am working on one yes oh amazing that's mm -hmm. great that's that makes a lot of sense that's so cool mm -hmm. I don't want to leave out the kaffas and the vatas yes. is there yeah. anything you suggest for well we should uh, definitely talk about vatas since it's yeah. fall I mean I know that this will come out a little later but so this is vata season so the the season is shifting to more wind. We're going to start getting exposed to more cold. And so also to take into consideration seasonally is your location. Because whereas, you know, somewhere up north or even northeast is going to be getting really cold right now here in Texas, it's still like 80 to 90 degrees in the fall. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have to take into consideration your own location and what that looks like for you. But so, yes, fall is the season of Vata. So it's really good to focus on more warming, grounding foods, you know, spices like everything that's in your pumpkin spice, cinnamons and gingers, and then like a lot of root vegetables and even like winter squashes and more warming stews, really 
more easily digestible foods because as the movement of wind comes in, it can really easily knock us out of our balance. And so we want things to help us stay grounded and stay balanced. And generally for anyone, lunch is ideal for being your biggest meal of the day because that's when pitta is highest is at noon. And then for evening, you want something really easy to digest because that's kapha time. So if you eat something really heavy, it's going to make you feel really heavy. So, so then for kaphas, kapha winter and spring can, you know, kind of be kapha inducing with the wetness and the heaviness and melting of snow and lots of water. So kaphas need lots of stimulation. So dry gingers is really good. So dry versus fresh ginger. The difference is that fresh ginger has more water content to it, whereas dry ginger is actually going to be more heating because all of the water is taken out of it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So more stimulating, like for body practices with kaphas, I like to do a lot of what we call udvartanas or scrubs. You can do that with salts or sugar, but salt and sugar are both kapha inducing. So I recommend just doing it with dry powdered herbs and doing like a nice full body scrub. You can add a little water to it. You could add maybe like a little honey to it if you wanted. You could even add a little bit of oil. If you were going to use oil as a kapha, you would want something like a sesame oil because it's more warming and you wouldn't want to use a whole lot of it. But then you could just get a powder blend of herbs that that you feel called to and dry powder, spices, anything like that. You could even do a little dried ginger in it. And with a Udvartana, you want to work in the upward direction. So you want to start at your feet and move upwards and do like long upward strokes and kind of more vigorous strokes. Whereas something like Abhyanga or body oiling, which would be really good for Vata, you want to move in the downward direction, what we call anulomana, meaning that things are moving down and out because that's the natural direction that you want vata to move. Vata is in our colon, so it's responsible for our elimination. So you want things to move in that direction. So long strokes downward on the limbs. I mean, you can go upwards, but you always want to put the pressure downwards. That's yeah. good to know. Mm -hmm. That sounds so wonderful. I like the idea of just like, yeah, rubbing herbs all over mm -hmm. your body. I always do. I do a Bianca every day. I just do an infused oil with whatever herbs. Like I think right now I'm doing Tulsi and rose and ginger. But um, but yeah, I like that idea of just like yeah, smearing some herbs all over your body. Yeah, we just did a Panchakarma training and we did Udvartana on the last day and it was my favorite of all the treatments. It was just like, it felt so good to have, to get that scrub, to get that roughness, you know, it, it felt really amazing. And there's something about plants, like just using them against the body. Like I love doing plant brushings too. Like it just, plants are so good at working with us and helping to balance whatever we need and it just yeah it feels so good to have that kind of contact against your skin too are there any like favorite herbs you like to do for for the scrub yeah yeah you can a good thing to start with as your main base is some kind of flower 
So you could use like a coconut flour, you could use an oat flour, you could use, we used some plantain flour, which I had never tried before. My teacher got it for us to try. Cool. Uh, chickpea flour is really good too. So it's nice to have a, like a solid base of the flour as your main bulk mm -hmm. and then adding herbs in there. So yeah, you could do like rose would be good for kapha because it's a little more astringent. Yes, it's cooling. So you'd want to pair it with maybe some ginger in there too. That's kind of like one of my favorites. I love putting cardamom in there because it smells <laughs> amazing and I love cardamom yeah, so like a cardamom rose with like a coconut and ginger uh, that's kind of like one of my go-tos another good one is like some orange peel oh, oh my god I'm obsessed with orange peel right now mm -hmm. yeah it adds okay. not only is it like super uplifting for kapha but it's got like that bitterness that kind of can cut through the bs you know and has those great strong volatile oils in it so it's warming it's stimulating it's really great for kava mm, that mm -hmm. sounds beautiful i love that idea yeah and so another concept that goes along with agni is ama and so ama is toxins or undigested food that gets clogged in the body that creates plaque and there is no detox in Ayurveda. You have to actually digest ama and eliminate it. Because if you try to detox it, it will actually smear and spread throughout the body even more. So if it had a consistency, it'd be like butter. And when you like rub butter on something, you can't get it off. The only thing that cuts through butter is like a soap, basically. Mm -hmm. So imagine the spices are the soap. They go in and incinerate ama on site so even with something like abhyanga you're adding so much more oil to your body than you would if say you were ingesting it in a meal you're using like maybe a quarter cup of oil sometimes on your body mm -hmm. and so you want to be able to digest that and if you don't have a strong agni and you have ama in your body which i would say 90 percent of people have ama you're not that that abhyanga could not be super beneficial for you so if you're going to do abhyanga which winter is a great time to be doing that make sure that you're drinking maybe start with your boiled water and then move into adding you know a quarter to half a teaspoon of ginger in four ounces of warm water and drinking that before you do the abhyanga so you want to keep your digestifier strong and you want to be moving any ama out of your body because if you're adding oil to your body, it's like you're adding more ama because they're mm. very similar consistencies. Oh, that makes sense to me. I had never thought of that, but that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just keep, keep your digestion strong. I, I really, I mean, everybody has their own different go-to, but I love going towards ginger because even though ginger is warming and say like possibly pitta provoking it still has a paka or post-digestive effect of sweetness to it which pacifies pitta so you could even add maybe a little bit of honey to it which is cooling and it's a lakana meaning that it has a scraping effect so you could do like you know four ounces of warm water with a quarter to half a teaspoon of ginger powder and a little bit of honey and drink that before you do your abhyanga you know maybe for a few days even 
and that's just a great like you could do that you know every day every other day three times a week even throughout the winter to keep your digestive fire going but if you start to notice that you're getting really loose stool you'd want to cut back because maybe it's going to be too heating for you thank you that's so helpful i'm like oh, i want to try that mm -hmm. sounds good i've been craving ginger i was like oh i want to take a bath and just like great ginger into the bathtub and just like be in there i just want to like marinate in some ginger yeah ginger so i love doing ginger baths in the winter because of that febrifuge effect you know it's using mm -hmm. heat to draw heat out so that's another thing that when i think about pitta is like yes pitta is hot but this is using heat to draw heat out so like if you have a fever you know again you'd probably just want to start on the lower end of the spectrum you don't want to kind of overload yourself but if you're trying to break a fever maybe it could be good to do that so i don't like to give any kind of general <laughs> i know it's so tough because each person is so exactly different and yeah yeah people message me all the time and they're like what do i do if i have this and i'm like well can i ask you 50 questions first it's <laughs> like i really want to help and sometimes just I think that in the herbal world, we get so recommendation happy that we're like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's like, well, that that could make it worse. And but I also at the same time don't want to not help and give you anything. But I'm mm -hmm. um, also just my teachers have really drilled into me to and, you know, my respect for another culture's medicine that isn't mine is to follow those traditional ways. So I you know, I find myself oscillating between those two things of like trying to be really true to the medicine, but also wanting to help and trying not to just recommend something just because they need it or something like that. You know, so I always say that just because an herb is good for something doesn't mean it's good for someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I always think of it as like matchmaking and how you don't always resonate with every person you don't always resonate with every plant. And so it's really like finding the plant that you just want to hang out together and talk more. And it feels like a good right. like, click together. Yeah. And so what I always recommend someone, like if they really want to just dip their toes in, go find a good place to find out your constitution. So you're basically just finding out what elements rule your body. Banyanbotanicals.com has a really great dosha quiz that I think is pretty good. And then when you're looking at herbs, always first thing I want to focus on is the energetics, meaning is it warming or cooling? And then think about your constitution, think about the season that's in play. And then you never want to do just like all warming things. You know, you could do, say you're doing a blend of like four herbs, you could do three warming things, but you need to put something cooling in there or else you're going to totally blow yourself out. So balance. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like balance is so crucial. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I'm curious. So the school that you studied at, do you still continue to take classes there? Yeah. So currently I am studying, I mean, I'm not, I finished my studies, but yeah. it's called the Radiant Living Academy of Ayurveda. And I'm actually kind of helping a little bit mildly with the facilitation. I'm working on being a mentor for the school. I'm gonna help facilitate 
our Panchakarma trainings. We are a NAMA certified school. NAMA is the National Ayurvedic Medical Association. And the reason why that is so important to me is because they have practices in place to make sure that if you're a NAMA approved school, you are studying from what we call the Briat Triyi or the Great Triad, which are the original classical texts of Ayurveda. And so for me, as someone who is a white person studying Indian medicine, it's important to me to learn from that foundation before I do anything else. So I actually did it the opposite. I just learned kind of like a more modern way and then started at the school and realized like, whoa, this is way deeper than I thought. So I, the director of the school, her name is Patricia Wickman. I completely adore her. She is so dedicated to this for life. She is fully in it. Her heart is fully in it. She is a wonderful teacher, an incredible guide. And I feel so blessed to have found her. I was actually supposed to be going to another school in Austin and the communication was really lacking. And they ended up telling me I, I couldn't do the course because they could only take a certain amount of people. And then I found her on the NAMA website and I sent her an email. She called me maybe an hour later. We talked on the phone for at least an hour and a half. She like lived in Wisconsin, which is where my partner is from, but she was in San Antonio at the time teaching the school, which is where I was coming home to back to the Austin area. And we just had so many synchronicities between the two of us. And she was like, hey, just come to class tomorrow. She's like, school starts tomorrow. Just come to class and see if you like it. I mean, I went for a whole month before I even like committed or that she was like, okay, you know, <laughs> so it was just it was incredible. I mean, it opened up a whole new world for me, learning from the classical text. It's a totally different, I mean, you're learning Sanskrit too, which is like, yeah. it's the oldest recorded language in history. And it's, it's like poetry, you know, mm -hmm. and something about it was just coming to me. I was like, am I missing something? Why is this coming to me so easily? I must be missing something. And it was just like, no, that's just, it's been there. It's something I'm relearning, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it's been really great. I really love Radiant Living. So our schooling is mostly online. Uh oh, Can you still hear me? Yeah. Can you okay. still hear me? Yeah. It just said my network connection is trying to reconnect, but I'm connected to the internet. So if you can still hear me, that's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. So if anyone's interested in Ayurveda, I highly recommend this school. It's mostly online, but NAMA it has changed the requirements to where there has to be a certain amount of in-person hours now. So we're going to be doing in-person teaching. So we'll be doing more of like learning how to make the foods and the medicines and all of the fun hands-on things now too. So, yeah. And I'm currently working towards my doctorate and our school has been approved to do a doctorate. Okay. Oh, oh now you're back. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was funny. You were there and then all of a sudden it disappeared for just a minute. Where did it cut off? You were saying you, the school is working on creating a doctorate program and you're working on your doctorate. Yeah. So we're collecting teachers in India who specialize in these branches of medicine to teach it. So right now we're kind of building that curriculum because it's so new. NAMA is just, they just put out the beta test for the doctorate, which my teacher is in the process of studying for and taking. 
And so, yeah, we're kind of building that curriculum right now. I think there's only like three NAMA approved schools to do the doctorate right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I feel so drawn to Ayurveda, but then I also have like the conflict for me is gluten and dairy both just do not do well with, I can do butter and ghee, but like, mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, the dairy part. I just see like so much Ayurveda has like a, such a strong dairy element. I'm curious like if that ever comes up for people or how you work through that. Like I think if it was raw dairy, it would be fine, but it's so hard to find that. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to do what they want to do. I can just make suggestions. But again, in Ayurveda, we're never doing it like raw. We are taking dairy at its base and changing its quality so like milk is never recommended to drink unless you boil it with spice which makes it a lighter quality easier to digest and then you have those spices going in and helping and so that's indicated for like vata depletion we would want to give them like milk with spices we don't just go towards something like ashwagandha because ashwagandha is a rasayana meaning that it's building so if someone has ama ashwagandha is really contraindicated for someone who has ama because it's just going to add to the ama especially with the milk so that's like a really common modern practice that everybody's doing is ashwagandha milk these days and i would say cut the ashwagandha and maybe like add some cinnamon add some cardamom things like that and boil your milk kind of like a golden milk would be better than an ashwagandha milk and then again like the takra like we're we're blending it we're taking the fat out of the top of it we're adding the cilantro we're adding the cumin seeds it's becoming lighter it's becoming more easy to digest so it's never just like straightforward dairy Um, (laughs) that makes sense there's like an alchemizing process right right and then there's paneer and that's always made from scratch you know it's made by boiling the milk, generally bringing it to about 180 degrees, adding some kind of acidic compound, whether you're doing lemon or lime or some kind of vinegar, apple cider, regular vinegar, whatever. And then you're basically collecting the curds. And then you can also use the whey. And it's commonly used like as a hair wash or like I'll give the whey to my animals even sometimes or I'll add it to soups or something like that. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you for yeah clarifying that because that makes it feel like more doable. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I guess that that's always been my one like, oh, I would love to dive into Ayurveda more, but then I'm like, oh, but that part feels like. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember too that like when this medical system was developed, we didn't have all of these food allergies because mm-hmm. we had microbiome in our soil. We have better microbiome in our gut. And now everything has been so genetically modified that that's why we have these autoimmune and these different imbalances towards these certain foods. So like gluten isn't really a big thing in Ayurveda. You might be making chapati, which is like basically an Indian tortilla type thing, but that's not, that's not, I mean, we don't, like when we're doing our trainings and stuff, we don't ever eat anything like that. We're always just eating some kind of dal or kitchery and rice and chutneys. That's it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. I feel like Indian food is like one place I can go and it's pretty easy to get gluten-free food. Mm-hmm. Um, and even sometimes dairy-free is 
mm-hmm. really easy too. So I think yeah, that's yeah. helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm curious thinking about your, your product line. I just love the sense of everything that you make. And I remember I got to like experience a few of your things and they just have a wonderful texture. How do you go about creating formulas and deciding what to share with the world? A lot of my formulas come from things that I am wanting in my own life. And then also inspired by tradition of Ayurveda. So like one in particular is the holy yoni oil. And I started making that one about five or six years ago. And I was just, you know, it's, it's a lubricant, but it's an oil-based lubricant. So, you know, in some sense of the form, you know, you're not going to want to use it with condoms or anything, but it is safe internal, external. And I, when I first started my herbal business, I was just doing a bunch of tinctures. And as my knowledge evolved, I realized that, well, for one, I don't even like tinctures. I hate the taste of alcohol. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and when I think of the qualities of alcohol, it's drying, it's more bitter, it's a, you know, more stringent. And, and then when I think of oils, they're building, they're more life-giving, they're more nourishing. So that's where my focus really shifted is I love infusing oils. And this is where I want to specialize in Ayurveda is what we call Baishaja Kalpana, which is pharmaceuticals. And in Ayurveda, if you're going to call it, like we have an oil called Mahanarayan oil, and it's an oil infused with all these spices, and it's great for kapha. But in the classical text, you'll see these formulas. And any pharmacy can make this formula, but you cannot make it any other way than what is written in the classical text to call it that formula. So there's like a streamline there. So I just, I love the way that oils are made and I don't even make them in more of a traditional Ayurvedic way. They're very labor intensive and time consuming. What they do is they'll actually create a chorna, which is a a powder blend. And then they'll make a decoction with that in water. And then you make another chorna And after you have that decoction, you add that to the oil with more of the powder. And then you cook that down until all the water evaporates off. So it's like an all day kind of hands-on process that you have to be there for the full time. And for me, I just don't do it that way because of shelf stability. But I am applying heat to my oils because heat is responsible for transformation. And I really believe that it extracts more of the medicinal properties of the herb if you're applying heat. Now, I'm not applying a lot of heat. I, I have my oils at 108 degrees just because 108 is a very sacred number. The nadis or the energetic lines in the body run over the heart 108 times. And so that is one reason why they do a prayer 108 times when they're doing a mantra and the mala beads all have 108. So but I just love oils and the holy yoni, like I was like thinking about kind of a rasayana, which is a rejuvenative, which is building. It's kind of aphrodisiacs are also rasayanas and, and ojas. So ojas is our liquid vitality and oil really helps that ojas. And ojas is like our life giving vibrancy. And so that oil, ojas is the essence of all the tissues once they are fully formed and then 
the last tissue being the reproductive system, the ojas is like our semen or our, you know, like our ovaries or our eggs, our ability to create life. And I don't know, I was just thinking of this, just like all of the most sensual things you could think of, you know, and combining that, you know, Ayurvedic Eastern with our Western. So it has the marshmallow root, which is the lubricating and the plumping. It has the rose petals, which are like very sensual, very aphrodisiac, but also kind of have a little bit of a tightening to them, tonifying. So it has that balance. And then it has the saffron in it, which is just like the epitome of aphrodisiac. And then the shatavari for more of that feminine hormonal aspect of it. So, you know, I, I suggest it as a lubricant, but it can also be used in the groin to keep those lymphatic channels in the groin moving because, you know, our main lymph clusters are chest, groin, and behind the knees. And when I'm doing lymphatic body work with people, I always find that the groin is the coldest. It is the most congested because we're sitting, we're constantly like cutting our body in half. It's like a big meridian line for us. So I always recommend like oiling oiling your whole groin up and then getting in a hot bath or a hot shower. And that's another thing with any kind of body oiling is you always want to follow it with heat because if you do it the opposite, which most people are taught to shower and then body oil, what you're doing mm -hmm. is you're blocking the strotuses or the channels, you're closing them off. But if you oil and then apply heat, you're allowing the strotuses to open and pull in that oil. So that's another small recommendation if you're going to start body oiling. Yeah, that's so helpful. I think for me, it's just so dry in Colorado. Like I just am like, I get out of the shower and I'm like, I just want like oil smeared all over me. Like, mm -hmm. And so what I do even like a, if you're going to like coat your body in oil mm -hmm. instead of, and then get in the shower, instead of using soap, you know, which would wash the oil off, you could get that dry powdered herb and just scrub yourself. The oil will mm -hmm. still stay on there. You'll still feel it and you'll still be clean. Mm -hmm. That's a great suggestion. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the holy yoni was just me trying to blend these two worlds, trying to make something really sensual and really yummy. It has the tiniest amount of ginger essential oil in there for warming. I mean, really, I use one milliliter of ginger essential oil in half a gallon. So it's really not anything that would aggravate you. And I've gone through clinical aromatherapy course. So I'm very aware of like how detrimental essential oils can be to our bodies. And then it has rose and then it has marjoram and clary sage, which are both like these beautiful feminine aspects of balancing kind of yin and yang. So that's one of my favorites. My most favorite of all the things I make though is the hair oil for sure. I love it. There was a point in time where I just felt like my hair wasn't growing at all. And so I started formulating and playing with oils and then this blend has just stuck and it's been one of my most favorite things. And oiling my head is one of my most favorite practices because it really helps my mobile vata. And for me, I always do it usually Sunday evening and I leave it in about 24 hours and it just really grounds me down after like, 
because usually my busy time is on the weekends doing markets and so that just helps me come back to myself and it just puts me in my grounded place and yeah that oil is also a combination it's got a lot of wild crafted and homegrown herbs such as like rosemary nettle oat lavender chamomile and then some of the ayurvedic aspects i have bring oil which is traditionally used to stimulate hair follicle growth and even used to prevent or reverse graying mm-hmm. um, and then amala amalaki also stimulates hair follicle growth and sesame oil olive oil argan oil castor oil yeah it's my favorite Oh, that sounds so wonderful. I'm like, oh, I just want to do that right now because I feel like I have started just cutting my own hair in the last few years, but I used to love going to get a haircut just for like the scalp massage alone, Mm -hmm. but you know, you could do that yourself. And that's great to know for mamas too, because I am a postpartum doula and I find Mm -hmm. hair loss postpartum is super common. And so that's mm-hmm. something a lot of people ask about what they can do for mm-hmm. support with hair loss. That's a lot. A lot of the people who use the oil are postpartum mamas. People, mm-hmm. some people be like, I need this for my husband. And I'm like, is it genetic? And they're like, yeah, it's not going to change your genetics. Yeah. Um, but it really does thicken the hair and it helps hair growth. I mean, my hair, when I'm really consistent about doing it once a week, my hair has been growing faster than I've ever seen it grow in my life, which obviously isn't like overnight, but it's still, I've been noticing it big time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, That sounds so, so delightful and wonderful. I'm curious if you have like any favorite morning rituals. I know one thing that I've learned in Ayurveda is the idea of dinacharya or like kind of creating morning or evening rituals for yourself to have kind of that rhythm Mm -hmm. for your day. Is there anything that you weave into your days that feels really nourishing and supportive yeah so dinacharya is so important because especially for someone like kapha who needs stimulation that routine can help get them up and stimulate them to get out of bed or for batas who might feel untethered or ungrounded this gives them that grounding cord to wake up to to know that they can count on that and then course pittas love rigidity and routine so (laughs) reinforces that but yeah so one of my favorite things is oil pulling and this is a really daunting thing to most people so it's the first thing I do when I wake up it's the first thing I put in my mouth I get right out of bed and go put the oil in my mouth and people are like I have to sit there for 20 minutes and do no that is not the case. I mean, I don't know where the 20 minutes came from and the coconut oil thing came from, but traditionally, you know, five to 10 minutes, sesame oil is generally recommended. I make a mouth pulling oil. It's like 75% sesame oil, 25% coconut oil, MCT coconut. And then I also include like propolis and neem and black cumin seed oil for their uh, support with the gums, but also antifungal, antibacterial, antimicrobial. So that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And it also is infused with whole cinnamon, cardamom and clove. Oh oh my God. (laughs) I've just been super diligent about my mouth health because it is the beginning of your digestive tract. And I actually just started seeing this biological dentist and they gave me this whole chart of how 
each tooth it has a meridian and it's connected to something else in the body and i just think that it it's something that gets overlooked and bypassed a lot but it is it's how your digestion starts so it's a very important aspect like of what's going in and then what's coming out so i love oil pulling i get up and i put about two teaspoons in my mouth and then i'm not just sitting there with oil in my mouth twiddling my thumbs like i'm a multitasker so i get up and i'm doing any leftover dishes i'm cleaning up i'm starting my breakfast i'm starting my hot water or my tea or my coffee or whatever your ritual is and doing other things so i'm not just sitting there and and it feels more doable to me then i go and i spit that out and just brush my teeth and and really that's my favorite morning practice is just making sure that i'm getting something because also and i scrape my tongue so also the oil pulling and the scraping of your tongue is going to stimulate your digestion so most people don't feel hungry in the mornings and then they bypass food and they'll drink coffee and then they won't eat until later in the day. And then they're really agitated and they have a really short fuse. And I know this to be absolutely true because it was me for so long. So now I'm just, I mean, I don't have a big heavy breakfast, but I wake up and I make myself like an egg and a piece of toast and some tea with some cream in it to give me some balance or some ghee in it to create a little bit of that heaviness. But I mean, it's just that small routine alone of knowing that my body is going to be fed, knowing that I'm hydrated, knowing that my mouth is healthy. That's really all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> a long drawn out routine. You can pick certain days of the week to do certain things too. But when I'm working with clients, I'm always suggesting that they try one thing for a month. Mm -hmm. because I can create a protocol for someone and give them 20 things to do and they will do zero. <laughs> yeah. One thing to focus on, they mm -hmm. will make sure they do that one thing. And mm -hmm. sometimes people are like, that's it. That's all you want me to do. Drink boiled water every day. And I'm like, it will majorly impact your life. And then you'll create this routine. And then next month you can start something new. And then in 12 months, you've got 12 new habits. That's amazing. That's, and I think that we just, I don't know, we live in such an instant gratification world that it's like all or nothing. And it's like, just start with one thing. And this is something I was talking to my best friend about. She's in Morocco right now and she's at a hammam spa and she's like, self-care isn't just this thing, this like thing that you do one day to, you know, some crazy out there practice. Just like it's just a part of their lives and i'm like yeah you know we just don't realize that by feeding yourself by breathing by just sitting and enjoying silence is self-care it's taking care of yourself you take care of yourself every day that's caring for yourself we've turned it into this very marketable experience but it's an everyday practice taking care of yourself just drinking, just working and making a, you know, a living and feeling secure or whatever that looks like for you is caring for yourself. So yeah, it's not just like a marketable experience. It is your day-to-day -day lives. And I wish that upon all of us, we could just realize that we're caring for ourselves and that is self-care. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. have to look a certain way or the other, just creating one 
one new habit for yourself is huge. Yeah, I love that. I'm always trying to stress that as well. Just like starting simple, starting small. And, you know, even just giving that one, planting that one seed of just doing this one little thing a day, that creates a ripple effect of like, oh my God, but I want to, I want to do more for myself actually. And so it starts to build over time. And yeah, I think just making it really doable is really, really helpful. Yeah. If there's one thing I can recommend that people really get into in self-care is just cooking for yourself, Mm -hmm. making yourself food. That is like the most important thing we can do. We can have all these amazing, crazy herbal remedies and teas and concoctions and blah, blah, blah. But just making yourself a pot of rice is it can do wonders for your body. And it's mm-hmm. so simple. You can get rice anywhere. It's one of the cheapest foods. It's super nourishing. It's really easy to digest and just sit there and like spend time chewing it really thoroughly. You know, maybe crack some cardamom pods in your rice, maybe put some cumin seeds in your rice, but just taking that time. It's a practice called sadhana, which is basically realizing the connection between you and the universe through food, sound, and prayer is, it it has a frequency and a ripple impact throughout your whole entire body and your nervous system, just to make yourself something as simple as rice. We don't Mm -hmm. need to do all these crazy glamorous things. We just need simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and cooking for ourselves. Like every time I make food for myself, just touching those plants is grounding and like chopping. I love chopping vegetables. Like, and sometimes it is hard to make that time, but then it's always worth it. It is always worth it to make whatever you make for yourself. Like any little preparation of food is mm-hmm. something like that I always recommend people and maybe this isn't as accessible but like get a crock pot or get mm-hmm. a pot and you can literally throw everything in there and it could take you five minutes and you turn it on and you walk away and then a few hours later you have a meal mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to I just think we just overcomplicate things and it really doesn't have to be like this whole, like you don't have to have the salad and the meat and the, 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 and all these different pots and pans out and doing all these different things. We just need it well cooked <laughs> and we need it cooked. <laughs> and then we just need to eat it and be a little slower when we're eating it. Like my biggest thing right now that I'm trying to practice is just making sure everything is chewed really well because I get really excited about food. Mm-hmm. I'm just like <laughs> eating it. And then it's like, I can feel it. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't chewed well enough. Like, ow. Yeah. <laughs> so just taking the time to enjoy it and chew it. Like it's not going anywhere. It's still sitting here. Just take your time with it. Yeah. My friend JB shared this beautiful ritual that I started doing, just placing my hands over my food and just saying, yum before (laughs) I eat it because it just creates this moment of mindfulness and gratitude for the food and helps me slow down a little bit more so that's just like a a thing that I'm incorporating into life more 
that's so funny that that is a prayer that I often do and and share with people is the yum yum the meal we just I just shared it at our panchakarma training and I shared it with my mom once and now she loves doing it anytime we're out at a restaurant she's like we gotta yum the meal and we're all (laughs) homing and people are like what so yeah I love that the the vibration just the thought the intention the prayer the thank you the acknowledgement it means a lot oh so beautiful yeah so cool well Caitlin I want to honor your time I know we were thinking of maybe talking about social media mm-hmm. a teeny bit I don't know if there's like a little yeah anything you want to say about that yeah Cause, cause um, I love your approach thank you yeah I I love educating people I love sharing information and knowledge and education I also can also feel sometimes like it's a vampire and it's sucking things out of me and I take these major gaps but I want to create digestible information because digesting anything, whether it's from your mind or your gut is super important. And so I want to create information that feels approachable, but digestible and without too much flash or information. So like there was a kind of a vibe going around for a little while where people were like, we shouldn't be doing reels anymore and reels should stick to TikTok. And I was like, I love making videos. I mm. love creating a visual experience to music. And it just sends this whole like vibe and energy and it can really get you hyped up about doing something. Mm. But I guess sometimes for people, it's too much visual stimulation. There's too many words. They can't read it fast enough or blah, blah, blah. So for me, What I try and do is just create something that's in a minute. And if there's going to be words, which most times there's not, and I'll put it in the caption and that way people can read it if they want. But it's just something that's, that's a one liner, something that's like a few syllables, you know, and just like conveying in a message and conveying an emotion just through a video experience to me is so much more than a photo and we have the ability to do it now so why not utilize that tool and so like i love cooking and i love creating and i love sharing so i'm trying to find ways to create digestible content and digestible practices not only for the physical body but the mind as well So there's a ton of information out there and, you know, it's all seems so conflicting. So I just try and keep it really simple because I just feel like that gets across the most. I mean, lately I've been not feeling the best about social media because I love making all this content and then I get very little interaction and I see how much that affects my spirit. And I'm like, oh, nobody likes it. And I know that that's not a judgment on me and my ability and my quality it's just more of like i want community and i want to connect but i can't make people connect and so i'm like okay maybe this isn't my place to do that maybe i need to find other sources and doing that so that's why i've been tapping into my local community more and teaching the cooking classes and you know i love doing the farmers market because i get to meet and talk to so many people and 
the reason why like I can't have somebody else do my booth for me is because it's such an educational process. I have to guide and educate people through this thing. And the most common thing that I hear when people are walking away and they're like, I feel like I learned so much. And that oh, yeah. You're that, a natural educator. It's amazing. Just the wisdom that comes through. Thanks. I think that's my Virgo where I can get a little too perfectionist too. Because I like <laughs> I'm like, it has to be right. Like I have to mm. be right. I can't, I can't lead someone in the wrong direction, but what I'm easing into lately and what I've been learning is that we're constantly evolving. Information is constantly evolving. I may have said something wrong. Nobody's going to hold it against me. Mm-hmm. And if they do forget them, you know, I just, they're not my people, you know? So like, we're all human. We all make mistakes as a, very pizza person I'm learning how to really forgive myself and be more compassionate with myself and that's kind of my biggest lesson right now is to not be reactive and just be like cool I may have just spent a few hours making that video and nobody liked it time to make something else you know and just Mm -hmm. like move on or just keep putting it out there and just keep showing it and you know what it doesn't matter it it's it's not for everyone I have to remember that it's something that I enjoy and I have to enjoy the process not the reward mm-hmm. oh my god I resonate with everything you just said so intensely because yeah I feel like there's as a podcaster like there's just very little feedback you get from doing podcasts because it's kind of a passive activity activity people are listening and they're you know, doing dishes or doing other things. So it's like the form of social media or content creation that's the least likely to get any engagement. But I just love doing it. But it was definitely a curve of learning to not seek any validation and just find the satisfaction within. Like, I love getting to talk to you and connect with people. And I know that it makes a difference in people's lives. And I can't worry about if I get a like or not, you know, like, or, but yeah, it's tough to let that go. (laughs) It's a struggle. And, and I resonate too with that idea of sometimes I want things to be so perfect and right. And like in my classes, I always tell people, you never step into the same river twice. Like every time I teach a class, it's different and the material's constantly evolving. I'm constantly evolving. Who's showing up is evolving. Like we're always, our our businesses are always changing. Like each year I want it to be changing. I want my business to look different because it's, it's always morphing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The water's like transforming those rocks and moving things around and mm-hmm. yeah. And it's such a new thing too. I mean, social media is such a new thing. And this Mm -hmm. feeling, this validation feeling, sure, we've always all wanted it in our lives. We've always needed it from our parents or our siblings or our friends. But it's in a whole new way now that is so new, but it's all consuming, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you're like a content creator or podcaster or, you know, anything like that. It's it's so consuming. And then you see all these people who are creating like a whole life, just being an influencer. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, 
it sounds intriguing, but at the same time, it's terrifying and, and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, like, I'm still searching for that middle ground of like, what, what is going to become of all this? What am I even doing? All I know right now is that I enjoyed sharing this, or I made this and would love to share it with you. And I hope to inspire you to make this meal for yourself or, you know, just anything, anything. And so right now, I don't know where it goes in a year from now, six months from now, next month. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I know that this is something I enjoy. Like I, anytime I would go on a road trip with a friend or do any kind of trip or anything like that, I was always taking lots of videos and lots of pictures. And then I would make a video. I used to use Final Cut Pro and make a video, even though I don't know how to use that app that well or anything like that and just like send it to the friend I was with and it was like such a cool we got music to all these like things that we did and just put it together in a fun way and it was just like such a fun way for us to look back on those things and share it together and so I loved doing that and I've just kind of carried that passion over into applying it to my practice and applying it to my life and sharing it with people because then, you know, if I have clients, I'm like, hey, you can go check out this video and make this if you want. And this would be really helpful, you know, and things like that. And then they have a visual because sometimes like I know for me, I'm a very visual learner mm-hmm. and so someone can tell me how to do things. But it's until I see it, I don't really grasp it. So mm-hmm. at least for me, that's how it's come out in my life is showing it visually because that's how I learn. Yeah, that's so helpful. I love that. I'm curious, do you have any favorite apps that you use for editing your videos? Currently, I'm using InShot. So what I do is a lot of people, the whole Reels thing on Instagram is is very confusing to me. I've, I've, people are like, you should be on TikTok and do that. And I've looked at it and I was so overwhelmed by it. I was just like, no, that's not for me. That's way too much. So basically what I will do, if I can recommend anything when people are making reels and they feel overwhelmed, what I do is I just take whatever video recording is on my natural phone. So I have an iPhone. I just go to the camera. I run the video. I run it the whole time. I just run it the whole time. I'm not worrying about stopping, pausing, shooting this, shooting that. I just let it run the whole time because I can take it into an app and I can cut all of that stuff out. And that takes a lot of stress out of it for me because I know with reels, there's only like a certain amount of time you can shoot. And then, you know, it's like, you got to save it. It can just get like overwhelming and too much. And I'm all about just making it as simple as possible. Cause I know I can go into the app and just cut it all out. And that seems the easiest thing to do for me than to like be making something and my hands are dirty and having to stop the camera and all these things. So if that's one little piece of information I can share, I hope that helps a lot because I mean, it's helped me a lot. I used to try and stop and go and do all that. And now I'm just like, why am I doing that? I can just run the video the whole time and edit it all out. Yeah. I just started using InShot and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much better. Yeah. So much easier. Yeah. It really, it's very straightforward. It's very easy to use. I haven't seen if they, I need to look into this, if they have a version on the computer, because that would be great. Canva is a great app Mm -hmm. and it's even better 
because you can use it on your computer. And to me, it's so much easier to use on my computer than it is on my phone. Oh, yeah. You can make videos on Canva. I personally don't like it as much mm. as I like it on InShot. I think InShot is way better than Canva. For me personally, I just like the layout better and the the formatting and just how it's visually laid out. I It seems more simple to me. I love your beautiful fonts that you use too. Is that some, did you have to like import that or how? Yeah. So the person who made my logo did all of my fonts for me. Oh, cool. Uh, my main font of my logo is from a guy who was out of Portland. I think he moved with his girlfriend recently. I think I remember him saying like London or something like that, but it's called Damn Type Co. And he draws, hand draws all of his fonts and he makes some really cool fonts. And so I use his font. I mean, I have three fonts that I use within my branding and you can upload those to, I mean, you can upload your whole branding kit to Canva. I can upload my fonts to InShot. So I use the same font every time just because it's kind of like in line with my branding and I'm trying to create some familiar familiarity. That is a hard word to say with, with the people who follow me so that like they feel comfort and consistency within that. That is so smart. That's something I've, I'm like starting to like. I used to have just like 700 brand colors, and I'm like trying to okay, like maybe like seven brand colors. <laughs> I know people are like, I was working with a designer for a hot second, and she's like, three, like try to pick three. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have five, but I am trying to expand a little more because they're all kind of in the same line as each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to expand a little more, which I, I, there's something really cool on Canva. They have a color wheel. And oh. so they give you like the monochromatic or like the diachromatic, like all these different, so you can input a color that you like, and it'll give a color that balances it out. Oh, I need to play with that. That sounds fun. Maybe just search like color wheel Canva, but it's really great. And that's how I've been trying to develop new colors for my brand. Oh, cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, Caitlin, <laughs> I could talk to you for days and weeks and years and lifetimes. It's so fun hearing your stories. You're such a great storyteller and educator and sharing so much rich information that's so helpful so thank you for making time today i want to leave space how can people support you and your work and connect with you yeah you can my website is urbanveda.com h-e-r-b-a-n-v-e-d-a i'm on instagram at urban.veda Pretty much I'm going to be like, I have some online classes that I'm going to be doing next year. So if you go to my website and you sign up for the newsletter, you get all that information of everything that's going on from markets, from product releases to classes and just all of the things. So that's where I focus a lot more of my attention is my newsletter because I, they may not be engaging, but a lot more people are reading my newsletter than I think are seeing posts on Instagram. But mm -hmm. uh, I do do a lot of fun videos and educational things on Instagram. And that's pretty much the most part where I'm at. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to have to take some classes from you because I'm so inspired to dig into Ayurveda more and play around with things. So yeah. I'm excited to 
Yeah, and through my teacher, Ginger Webb, she has the Sacred Journey School, of, and I have been teaching like an intro to Ayurveda through her school. I've done it once on my own. I'm kind of trying to refine it a little bit, again, because I'm in between that line of like staying true to tradition, but also that's not digestible to most people because there's a lot of Sanskrit. And to me, I cannot separate the Sanskrit from the medicine because they are one and the same. So I'm really trying to work through that and make it more digestible and not as like clinical, but still find a way to do that that feels good to me and that honors the medicine. So yeah, it's a tough juggling act, but it seems worthwhile. Yeah, the intro is is six weeks. Oh, cool. I want to take that. It sounds fun. Mm Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for making time, Caitlin. It was just wonderful to chat with you. And you're just a wealth of beauty and information and wonderfulness. So thanks again for being here. Thank you so much, Sarah. I had such a good time. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Isn't Caitlin wonderful? You're going to want to be sure to connect with her. You can find her on Instagram at urban.veda, that's H-E-R-B-A-N dot V-E-D-A, or you can find her website, www.urbanveda, so gorgeous. She teaches all kinds of different classes and workshops and has gorgeous products, and she's just such a wonderful maker, creator, helper, healer. So um, yeah, I hope you are able to connect with her. She's is so fun to be connected with uh and then also uh if you want to connect with me i'm on instagram at time in the studio podcast or at sarah marie studio or you can find my website at www.adazia.com thanks again for being here and may our efforts benefit all beings take care toodles mm-hmm.